there we go. My name's um, Martin from Maidstone, which is really good. Alliteration in my own name makes it easy to remember. I bring greetings from the vine. I'm going to do a little preamble so you can turn me down because I'm going to go up in volume as we read God's Word because I love God's Word. If you've got your Bibles, let's turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to read um, the last few <clears throat> verses of that chapter. Um, but before I do, I just want to share a picture that I got as we were worshipping. Um, as we were singing and focusing on Jesus, I, I was reminded of a few weeks ago, I was sat in my friend's back garden. His name's Tom. He's a farmer. And uh, from his back garden, you overlook this field full of um, rapeseed oil. These plants spread out as far as you can see. And uh, we ended up having a conversation, as conversations usually end up when you speak to my friend Tom, about his farm and farming and what's happening on the farm. And uh, I was asking him, so, so what's happening um, at the moment? And he said, well, with all the rain that we've got, the, the plants have caught up. Everything that were lacking earlier in the year with the sun, um, they're going to be ready for harvest, maybe ahead of our schedule. He then um, encouraged one of our friends to break off just one of the pods and open it up, and many seeds poured out. And he said, within each plant that grows from just one seed, thousands and thousands of seeds are there ready to be used either to make rapeseed oil or to be scattered across the fields this next year. And he said how just a, a small bucketful will cover the whole field and all those seeds just multiply immensely. So as I was thinking of this, I was thinking, well, I should be focusing on you, Jesus, but I think it was him bringing it back to mind. I just think he wants to encourage you as a church today. As you, as you have sown many seeds that actually you're waiting for the time for harvest. For Tom, the time wasn't ready yet to get the harvest at its best, to get the harvest when it was ready. He had to wait. And he had to uh, be observant with what's happening. And I, I believe that God just wants to encourage you as a church that you have sown many, many seeds. And from the seeds that you have sown with the gospel into people's lives, there's going to be a harvest of uh, exponential multiplication. And then actually, our job is to watch and see what he's doing. And as we see that fruit ripe for harvesting, that we are to then pluck what he is doing in someone's life. So can I pray for us as a church, and can I encourage you that actually as we go around day by day, maybe people that we spoke to a long time ago about Jesus, or people that we're having an ongoing conversation, that actually we need to be attuned to what he says and see what he's doing so that we can then play our part in seeing people come to know him, come to follow Jesus. So can we pray? Father, I want to thank you for my friends here. I thank you for the church that has been shining lights out across uh, this area for many, many, many years. And Father, I thank you for the, the many seeds that have been sown in people's lives. Even this past week, the seeds of the gospel and the truth of Jesus Christ that have been sown. And Father, I pray for my friends here that, that like my friend Tom, they would have eyes to see what is happening in the spiritual. Father, they would have ears to hear what you are saying and what you are doing. And Father, that they would know the time to step into action with you as you draw them to yourself. So I, I pray, Father, that, that in these next few weeks and months that we would see the fields ripe for harvest. We would see those conversations that have been leading, leading, be at the point where this person is, is, is ready to be presented with that challenge of following Jesus. Father, we thank you that we know that people all around us are ripe for harvest. And we pray, Father, would you help us to know your voice and would you help us to respond to your leading day by day as we serve your kingdom purposes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 2, we have the day of Pentecost. It's a chapter that we love as the church. The Holy Spirit is poured out just like Jesus said it would be. The first disciples that were there, that were waiting in obedience to Jesus, he said, wait, receive power. They received power. And we see that they are utterly transformed in a moment. Just a week earlier, when Jesus had appeared to them for the last time, when he ascended back into heaven, he said, wait and receive power. And they asked the question, are you going to restore your kingdom now? 
they still didn't really understand who Jesus was, nor what Jesus had come to do. They were still thinking a lot of the teaching that they had received as they'd grown up about who the Messiah was and what the Messiah was going to do. The, you're going to overthrow the Romans, you're going to set us free as a people, and you're going to establish your kingdom in the way that we're thinking here now. Yet that wasn't Jesus' plan. That wasn't how Jesus was going to accomplish it. He was going to ascend back into heaven. He was going to give his Holy Spirit to the disciples. And through them, just like the seeds, the multiplication of the gospel would begin. As all nations begin to respond to Jesus Christ. Peter, who was probably the one who said, are you going to do it now, Jesus? Establish your kingdom. Just a week before, having been empowered by the Holy Spirit, stands up on the day of Pentecost and says, now let me tell you what's happening. Let me tell you and explain what God is doing amongst us. He explains who Jesus was, that he was the Messiah, the Christ. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you, you, you crucified. The people listening were cut to the heart. Their response to Peter on that day was, what must we do? How are we to respond to this news that you have just given to us? And Peter says three things. Repent, turn from the way that you are going, turn from the way that you expect things to be, Turn from what others think you should be doing and follow after what God is doing. Be baptized was the second one. Your response to turning and following Jesus firstly is to be baptized. And then thirdly, receive the Holy Spirit. Up until this point, the Holy Spirit had been poured out, as I'm sure you know, on particular people for particular tasks, for particular seasons. The Spirit came upon them and departed from them. Yet now the Holy Spirit was coming to live in all those who believed in Jesus. That day, 3,000 were added to the church. Those that had been there and followed Jesus for many years now had exploded into this larger body of believers. And what Luke records next, and what we're going to think about this morning, is what happens after all these new converts come into the church. So reading from verse 42, chapter 2, let me begin. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon the, all the soul, or every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles'. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had needs. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. At the outset of the church, with the Holy Spirit being poured out on all believers, we see seven distinctives of this early church. And I want us to think about them together today. Before any strategy had been put in place, before any books on management were written, we see the early church responding to what God was doing, giving themselves to seven different distinctives that I want us to just think about. And as we think about, try not to think about the person next to you and how well they're doing. And try and think about, what does this look like in my life? What am I giving myself to? You see, what we have at the end of Acts chapter 2 is a summary of what the church gave themselves to, individually and collectively. And let's ask God to open our hearts and speak to us. Maybe if there are areas where we know we are pressing in well, that we can be encouraged and we can thank him for. And maybe if there are areas that we are shrinking back from and thinking, that's not me, let us be inspired by him today to press into. So I studied at Spurgeon's College for some time. The great uh, preachers would preach three points. So consider yourself to receive two and a third of a sermon today as we go through seven points together. Is that okay? And they won't all be half an hour long, I promise you. 
Right, point one, what did they devote themselves to? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What an amazing time to be alive. What an amazing time to be a follower of Jesus. Holy Spirit's poured out. Peter proclaims that amazing message. Many other words were, were used to explain who Jesus was and what Jesus has done. Those who responded, again, were filled with the Holy Spirit. And from that point forward, they were eager to find out more. What does this new life in Christ look like? How is Jesus the Messiah? Because we've thought about him being like this, but we can see that he's actually, he's, he's, he's something that's he's far greater than we ever anticipated him to be. Throughout these early days of the church, the, the disciples, all those who were being saved, spent time together so they could learn, how do we do this new life in Christ? We used to follow in these rules and these regulations, but now you're telling us we can come to God as our Father? Now we can pray without uh, fear of him because of what Jesus has done? Jesus is the Messiah. How, how does that look in our world today? They would understand more of what the kingdom of God is and how God was establishing his kingdom, being Jesus' primary message when he was here. And they would grow and I'm sure talk together about what this keeping in step with the Holy Spirit looks like. Now that God lives in us, how do we follow after him? Whenever they met together, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, learning and studying and questioning together, trying to work out what does this life look like? We're not in the same place that they were. None of those who walked with Jesus are walking here with us. While many of us have walked with Jesus for many years, but not in the way that they did. Peter talking about when he got out of the boat or when he made that silly comment about making tents on top of the mountain. In the first person, they could have talked about what they saw and what they heard. We're not in that position, but what we do have are the scriptures, the apostolic writings, the writings that have been written down for us, captured for us, as the authors were carried along by the Holy Spirit, so that we know what they saw and what they heard. We know what is important for life and godliness. How's your study of the scriptures going today? The early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They gave themselves to it so they would grow more and more and more in terms of who God was calling them to be. Neglecting the scriptures is the greatest folly for the Christian. Neglecting reading his words is foolishness for us. And even most so important today because of the world that we live in. We're surrounded by sound bites, aren't we? Whether it be on TV, whether it be Twitter or Facebook or whatever uh, uh, things you engage with. And, and, and never more so than within the church. Where there are one-liners, a, a simple sentence, trying to explain something so complex but in a simple manner. That can lead us down all sorts of garden paths that don't take us closer to the truth. How are we doing in studying the scriptures? Today in the church, the wider church, there are so many hermeneutical trajectories. If you don't know what that means, speak to Steve and he'll explain it later on. There are so many different ways of reading the Bible and interpreting the Bible that really can lead us to make the Bible say whatever we like. And we need to be wise to that. One of the classic ones at the moment is we need to frame everything through the lens of Jesus. And that's absolutely true. We make sense of who God is by looking at Jesus. But when we read the Old Testament, we need to understand it's God's unfolding story working out stage by stage by stage. We don't reinterpret it because of Jesus, but we understand it in the light of what Jesus has done. And we look at what is God making known now so that we'll understand who Jesus is later on. But there are others saying, no, we need to change it. And I want to encourage you as church. As church, part of your, your, your privilege and pleasure is to open the scriptures, to study together, to learn together that we may know what is this life and godliness that God has called us to. It's what the early church gave themselves to, and it's what we are to give ourselves to today. When I became a Christian, I was told, you must pray every day, you must read your Bible every day, and you must never miss church. Three top tips, that's it, go and do it. So I read my Bible, I'm dyslexic, I don't find reading easy. I would read my Bible faithfully day by day, thinking, I don't get this. I don't understand most of the words contained within it. What on earth am I doing, God? What are you doing? I know I'm supposed to do it, so something good has got to come from it. Let me give you some tips. When we read the Bible, we need to read it with integrity. 
Gordon Fee, a scholar of scripture, says, it can never mean now what it never meant then. We can't be subjective in reading, oh, this means this to me. Actually, what did it mean then? What was Jesus saying to Peter and John back then? What was Paul saying to the church in Corinth back then? And having understood what he's trying to communicate then, so we can think about what is that message that God has for me today. When we read it, we need to read it with integrity. When we read it, we need to read in community. The church gathered and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. When we read, we to read in community, not just simply what does it mean to me, but what do we understand by this? What is God speaking to us through this? When we read it, we to read it in light of history. What have others understood as they have read it? It became as a revelation to me that I'm not the first person to have read the Bible. There are many others who have read it and many others who have commented on it. We're not to simply go to what, what do they say, but actually we are to listen to what they say, having spent time reflecting on it ourselves. We're to read it with integrity, in community, in the light of history. And most importantly, we're to read it with its author, Holy Spirit. You see, Holy Spirit carried the prophets along as they wrote down scripture. All scripture is God-breathed, came out from God, and God caused it to be maintained and held for us today. So as we read it, the first place for us to go is say, God, you who live in me, would you help me to understand it? Peter says, we don't need anyone to teach us anything because we have Holy Spirit living in us. I want to encourage you as you read your scriptures. You might, you might not understand words like hermeneutics. That's okay. That's not in the Bible. But you can understand even the most complex things. You go through Romans at the moment, aren't you? As a church. That's great. Some of what Paul writes is incredibly difficult to understand. But the Holy Spirit that lives in us, that inspired the original to be written, would you help me understand? And I found over the years, God has just opened my eyes and opens the eyes of community as we read it with him together in the light of history with integrity. He causes us to grow. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They gave themselves to fellowship as well. They had everything in common. They met day by day. For those who had been following Jesus for a long time, for those who had just come into this new community, they loved meeting together and being together. Israel was an unhospitable place. It wasn't a, a, a good place for them to be. Just read the Gospels and you see how the religious rulers felt about Jesus. Read the rest of Acts and you see how the religious authorities felt about these Christians. Yet staying together and being together, meeting with one another, is encouraging for us as we follow after Christ. The author of Hebrews says, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of do, to do. Think about how you may spur one another on as the day of Jesus' return approaches. How are you doing meeting together? Not just on Sundays, not just when there's, there's gatherings, but saying, hey, can I come around? Hey, can we just connect and meet up? Because the early church, when they had opportunity, they met together to encourage one another, to, to, to G each other on. And we have the privilege of being able to do that today, to encourage each other as we follow after Jesus. So how's that working for you? Oh, you might be, well, no one ever come round and sees me. No one ever phones me up and asks me, how, how, how are you doing? But when was the last time I went round someone's house to see them or phone someone up to ask them, how are you doing? We all need one another, irrespective of what this looks like on the outside, irrespective of what we consider other people. Well, Steve, he's got it all sorted. You know, Steve, he's, you know, he's at church every day. He's, he's, he's got it all sorted. I guarantee Steve's not got it all sorted. I know I haven't got it all sorted. And I need people to say, how are you? How are you doing? Let me pray for you. Let me encourage you in what God is calling you to do. If you read Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter 4, he talks about the five-fold ministries, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. That actually gifts are given so that the church together may grow in maturity and attain to the full knowledge of Christ, to be like him. If we want to grow in maturity in Christ, we need one another. 
We can't do it alone. There is no single walking Christian who's going to attain to the full maturity of Christ. I love meeting with people. I love hearing people reflect on what God's doing or what God said in his word because it challenges me because most often people have different perspectives to me and see things that I haven't seen. If we have Holy Spirit living in, in us, each one of us has something to contribute for the good of the other. Whether you've been a Christian for many decades, as I imagine you have, David, or whether it's been for just a few minutes, no matter how long we've been a Christian, we've got something to contribute to the spurring of, on of others. Let us take our place. They devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, but more specifically to the administration of the sacraments. Given Jesus' words over the last supper, he, he, he said, do this in remembrance of me as he broke the bread, as he drank the wine. When he spoke to the Apostle Paul, which we so often use from 1 Corinthians 11, and says, what, what I received from the Lord I pass on to you on the night that Jesus broke bread. He gave thanks. This is my body broken to you, for you. As followers of Jesus, we are to break bread, to remember what Jesus has done, his body broken for us. We're to take the cup, drink his blood, symbolic in wine, and remember what Jesus has accomplished, as well as what our expectations are for the future. They also administer baptisms, two things that Jesus said the church should do. Do this in remembrance of me, and baptize. Go therefore to all nations, and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. I want to ask you a question. It's something that I'm reflecting on at the moment. Quite often in the Christian world that we live in, we've replaced baptism with a hands raising. Who wants to respond to the gospel? Put your hand up. Who wants to respond to the gospel? Come to the front. Who wants to respond to the gospel? Pray this prayer. For the early church, the people said, what must we do? How do we respond to this message that we've just heard? And Peter says, you must repent and you must be baptized. And throughout the New Testament, it's constantly saying, remember your baptism when you were united with Christ. Baptism is so important because it is the demonstration of what God is doing internally to us. So at the Vine, we're, we're wrestling with, how do we do this? This coming Sunday, we're baptizing eight people. It's fantastic. But one of the ladies, she became a Christian seven months ago. You see, her husband, was her partner, was baptized about seven months ago. And she walked into our cafe the next day and said, right, what's this Jesus about? What must I do to be saved? And a lady there shared with her and talked to her. And she became a Christian then and there. Fantastic. Oh, shame on us. Seven months later, we're baptizing her. Fantastic that we're baptizing her. But what are we waiting for? In the early church, it was as soon as they believed, they were baptized. It's a challenge. I want to provoke you to... Have we replaced the response to Jesus with something other than what is seen within the pages of the New Testament? I want to suggest that baptism is the symbol that we've been given and the symbol that we need to use. How we work that out? Well, we're thinking about, well, we've got this big tank that takes X number of hours to fill. How do we get a smaller tank that's much quicker to fill so that on a week-by-week -week basis we can be baptizing people who are responding to Jesus? The early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, to administering the sacraments, to baptism. We identify with death, Christ's death. We're raised to new life in Christ, symbolic, but so powerful and so important for us to follow. And they gave themselves to prayer. If you're taking notes, this is point number four. If you're not on point number four, then I don't know where things have gone wrong because there have been lots of sub-points along the way. Devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread. Point four, to prayer. The early church prayed. And when they were opposed and there was struggling, they prayed some more. When Peter and John were told, you're not allowed to talk about this Jesus anymore, and they had given good account of themselves, saying, well, who are we going to listen to, you or God? They came back and the church gathered and prayed. God give us strength because we're being opposed, that we go out with more fervency to tell more people about Jesus. And what does God do? He empowered them afresh with the Holy Spirit and gave them all that they needed to continue with the mission that Jesus has set before them. What does your prayer, look like to, your prayer life look like today? What does our prayer life look like to go today? 
as has already been said, on Friday we're going to go to Sittingbourne. But it's so far to go. But it's so fantastic to be part of a wider family of churches that are pursuing Jesus, that are seeing lives changed and transformed, that are seeing churches planted. About 10 months ago, I met with some of the leaders of the churches from Relational Mission around Kent, and we had a steak feast um, in Rochester. We're all there eating steak, and God began to speak to us, not about steak, funnily enough, but about how God wanted to work amongst us. About how out of us, God is wanting to do something new that looks different to what it's been in the past. But is wanting us, each one, to play our part. Out of that has, has, has come a time together with Mike Betts, with others speaking to us and encouraging us to pursue Jesus and do whatever he says. From that point, meeting with wider leaders in Kent, there's a heart for 12, 13 or, or more church plants around this area where there are areas where there is not an expression of New Testament church viable. People's hearts are being stirred, being called to leave the location that they're living in and to go over and relocate so they can bring the gospel to a new area. This is exciting to be part of. And we can be part of it as we pray. God, would you speak to us? God, would you stir us? God, if you call me to go, may I go? God, if you don't want me to go, don't send me. Help me stay and know that I'm called to stay. I love going to new places. I, I lived in South Korea for a while. I love traveling and I'm always up for the adventure. So whenever the opportunity comes, I'm like, is it me? I remember praying for an hour about um, Dubai. There's a call out um, across New Frontiers. We need more people to go to Dubai. So I'm like, for an hour, God, I'm ready. Are you wanting me to go? And he said nothing. So I'm like, okay, God, you want me to stay in Maidstone? I love Maidstone, by the way. I was born and bred there, spent 10 years away, and God's called me to be there. So if God's called us to be in a particular place, staying is the best place for us to be. If God's calling us to go somewhere else, going is the best thing for us to do. And the last time I read through the Bible, there's no age restrictions on who can do what. But God can speak to any of us at any point in time and relocate us for his kingdom purposes. The people devoted themselves to prayer. And I want to encourage you, if you can be there at all, even if it's a summer of the evening, be able to be there on Friday evening. It's a long journey, yes, but what we're sowing into is far more important than those minutes in the car. Far more significant, seeing the gospel proclaimed around Kent and beyond. Number five, we see the church witnessing for Jesus. Those that had followed Jesus for years, those that had just come to follow Jesus on the day of Pentecost, wherever they went, they talked about Jesus. Opposition came to them, they were scattered abroad and they talked about Jesus. We see people becoming disciples around the area and far-reaching nations as the first disciples follow Jesus and were witnesses. Jesus said, wait, receive power, then be my witnesses. You don't need to be a theologian. You don't need to understand complicated words. You don't need to have been part of the church for X number of years before you can tell someone else about what Jesus has done. Any of us that have seen Jesus do anything in our own lives or the lives of others, we are to witness for what Jesus has done. Let me ask you a question. How's that going for you? Peter and John, when they went up to the, the temple to pray by the beautiful gate, gate beautiful, they saw a man who asked for money, taking the opportunity from someone who was asking for money. They said, we don't have what you're after, but what we do have, we give to you. In the name of Jesus, be healed. And the guy was healed. When was the last time you spoke to someone who was asking you for money? I love asking people to work in shops. Do you go to the, the quick self-checkout or do you go and wait and be served by a person? And when you're served by the person, do you speak to them or do you not speak to them? I am an introvert. It's counterintuitive, I know me standing here, but I'm an introvert. I, I like my own company. I think I make quite good company. And um, I make very good conversation to myself. Oh, well, I think so anyway. And uh, speaking to strangers is something that just causes me fear. Causes me like, anxiety. I don't, I don't know what to say. I'm not a good conversationalist. So I have one strategy in having conversation with people. Would you like me to share it with you? It's really simple. Any of us can do it. If you meet someone new, you just ask a simple question. How's your day going? It's a very simple question, I know. And do you know how people respond? They don't feel threatened, they don't feel anything. Usually they tell you how their day's going. And do you know the great thing about being in our culture? 
quite often we're reciprocal in things that happen to us. So if someone's asked you, how's your day been? What do they do? And how's your day going? It's, it works really well on Sundays, because then we can talk about what's just gone, wow, it's, uh, my day's going really well. I've just been at church. There's been 300 people, 400 people gathered. We, we've worshipped Jesus. We, we saw this person healed. We saw that happen. We can talk simply about Jesus in a simple way. I was, went to a shop um, this week, uh, a new Audi that's opened up in Mason. I've never been there before, never had any desire to go there. Yet as I was driving past, I thought I should go in there. I went in there and uh, I bought an amazing swing for my daughter, so I was feeling chuffed. She was certainly happy when I got home. But when I got to the checkout, they opened up checkout, check, checkout number six. I was there like a panther, jumped on it, things on the belts, and this lady turned up and she looked like she was having the worst day ever. I said, how are you? How's your day going? She said, you wouldn't believe how my day's going. I said, well, why don't you tell me about it? And she complained about how busy the shop was. I said, I'm really sorry to hear that. I hope the rest of your day goes better. And she says, and besides that, I had to tell my six-year-old son today that his best friend at school, who was five years old, died with her mum, with their mum. And how do you do that? We entered in this conversation about how, how we do that, how do we help, how do we walk through loss and grieving. And it was just such a divine appointment. They're able to talk to her, I said, look, I'm a, I understand this. I've got a 10-year-old now, but I'm a minister. I know what it's like to walk people through death. And we had a conversation. How do we have that conversation? All I did was ask a simple question, how's your day going? And she was honest. And I believe that God was working in that moment. We're part of relational mission, which encourages us, everyone a witness. We've all got something to contribute. We don't need to speak about words that we don't understand, nor theology that is too complex from what we've understood ourselves. We don't need to explain everything about Jesus and about God and how it all works, where the origin of the species comes, comes from. We don't need to do that. But what we can do is we can just share what we've seen God do, what we've heard God do, and what we've seen God do around us. That's what we are called to. Number six, they were naturally supernatural. The church, as they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, to prayer, to witnessing for Jesus, they saw wonders and signs take place in their midst. When Jesus was with them, he said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that my Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me for anything in my name, I will do it. John 14, verse 12 to 14. Let me ask you a question. How's your expectation today? How's your expectation today as you ask things of God? So often we can have no expectation. But actually God is the creator of the universe. Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth, and he can do more than we can ask or imagine. I have this uh, amazing memory of a time I spent um, at the Weald of Kent Golf Club with a guy. We'd go there week on, week out. We'd drink coffee together. We'd spend an hour in conversation, and I'd take him home. We were friends. And this one day, we got there, and uh, he was just like, can we go home? We just ordered coffee. We just sat down. We had spoken hardly any words. And he said, like, I've just got this split in my grain. It's really painful. It's too bright here. Can you just take me home? I could see he was in tremendous pain. He says, it'll take a few days. I'll be okay, but please just take me home. I said, would you mind me praying for you? He wasn't a Christian. I'm a Christian. He knew that. He said, yeah, you can do that. So I just said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. His next words were this. What do you do? I'm like, what do you mean? I said, what did you do? I said, you know what I did. Said, what did you do? So. You said you had a headache. I said, can I pray? I then said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And then you shouted at me. That's what happened, isn't it? Has anything else happened? I didn't touch you. I didn't do anything weird. He said, the pain's gone. I'm okay. It's completely free. We then spent an hour unpacking what had just happened. And uh, what did I do? God, I know you can do something about this. I'm going to ask you to do something about it. So often we don't receive because we don't ask. James says that. You do not receive because you do not ask. Should I ask um, Brian if he wants to come and share just a couple of stories as we were traveling um, on the car to, in the car together. Um, he uh, just shared a couple of stories of things that God has done in the last um, couple of weeks. So very briefly, Brian, this is my time. 
<laughs> yeah, but now I've got the microphone. <laughs> um, so what I shared with Martin on the way up, I have the pleasure of heading up the prayer ministry team at the Vine. Um, a guy came to me on Sunday morning and said, um, I can't hear out of this ear. So after a brief conversation with God telling him I wasn't going to stick my finger in his ear, uh, God said, it's all right, he can stick his finger in his ear. So I said to my friend, put your finger in your ear and I'm going to pray. So I did. I said, in the name of Jesus, unblock, heal in Jesus' name. He took his finger out of his ear and I whispered to him, can you hear me? No. I said, that's all right. Um, Jesus prayed for the blind man twice. We've got liberty to go again. So finger back in the ear, prayed. And he said, oh, it's a bit better. So we tried one more time and I stood 10 feet away from him and whispered at the same level. And he said, I can hear that perfectly. Um, sometimes God will ask us to do weird stuff. Just do it because it works. And the other thing is, I was in a uh, shop yesterday with my daughter, uh, found a friend who had relatively recently had a biopsy. Uh, the biopsy uh, showed that she was going to need uh, a fairly major operation. Uh, for one reason or another, there was a huge delay between that biopsy and the operation, so they decided to do another biopsy. In the meantime, we had prayed for this person. They did another biopsy. They couldn't find anything wrong, no need for the operation. How good is God? So the question is, are, are we expectant to God to work? You see, the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Are we good at that? To fellowship, to breaking bread, to prayer, to witnessing about Jesus. And signs and wonders happened about them. Are we praying for people? Are we expecting that God would move when we pray? I can guarantee you this, whatever our theology on healing is, the more people we pray for, the more people we'll see healed. The more people we pray for, the more people we will see healed. This is part of the normal, everyday life of the early church. And finally, we see a distinctive of love amongst those who believed in Jesus. When there was need, people sold their possessions, they brought the proceeds, they distributed, so there was no need amongst them. How do we know that they were disciples of Jesus? Well, Jesus said this, a new command I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The early church, what was the mark of it? No one had need. They took care of one another. In the Old Testament, the, the command was you're to love your neighbor as yourself. When Jesus gave his new commandment to his disciples, he says, you are now to love not as you love yourself, but you're to love as I have loved you. What does Jesus' love look like? Completely self-sacrificial. It's a grace-filled love, not for those who deserve it, but to any who are in front of us. You see, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a propitiation for our sins. Before we did anything to deserve it, God sent his son to die in our place. This is the kind of love we are to love others with. Not for the deserving, not for those who merit it, but for those who are in need amongst us. And as we love one another, so people will know that we are his disciples. All the believers were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Um, a number of years ago, we had a lady in the church, her husband left her and then came back and then kicked her out of the house uh, because he and his new partner wanted to live there. She had no means of income. She had no money to pay for a deposit. And she asked, what can I do? A man in the church heard of this and he came up to me one Sunday morning and says, would it be all right with you and the elders if I paid the deposit and went guarantor? I'm like, of course it's Okay. I love it when people have their cars breaking down at the vine. That's not the bit I like. I love it when the request goes out to borrow a car or to, to help with transport and people come back and say, what can I do? What car do I need? How can I buy a car for them? A couple of weeks ago, we had a man who had an infection and was unable to work. He was paid weekly. His family would have no food. And we had people contacting us in the office saying, how can I give money to this family to provide for them this week as he's not able to work? We had a couple that were away on holiday that texted in to say, how can we meet the need of this family? As we love one another, 
So we demonstrate we are Christ's disciples. This is what the early church saw. And we don't even need to know the need. We just need to be those who are responding to God. I used to live in Seoul. I mentioned this before, in South Korea. And the, the city's um, divided up into districts. And because I'm not Korean, you can tell by my appearance, um, I used to spend a day a week just walking around the city, working out how does this culture work? How do people function? How do they interact with each other? And this one day, I was in the music district. I, I loved it. There are like tower blocks full of guitars and electronic items. And I was there, and I felt God say to me, buy a guitar. It was a really nice guitar. Um, um, everything in my head went, what's my wife going to say? What's Sarah going to say? So uh, I, I walked around a number of times, and then I'm like, well, I'm just going to buy the guitar, because I think I've heard you, God. I bought the guitar. I then, on the, on the subway home, I rehearsed what I was going to say to my wife as to why I've now got a new guitar in the apartment that we can't afford, and why is it there? So I said this to my wife, and she's like, okay. Just so you know, if you're wanting something and you use that as an excuse, God knows your heart. Okay, just saying that. Anyway, the next day, um, I was in um, with some friends, uh, a lady who translates for me when I was there, and um, she was looking a bit glum. And I said, oh, what's going on? She explained what was happening and how she's under pressure. And then she went on to say this. She said, well... Before I came to Korea, she had lived in Australia for a number of years. She said, when I felt like this, I'd pick up my guitar and I'd play it. But sadly, before I came to Korea, my guitar was stolen and I can't afford to buy a guitar. And that's what I would do in this moment if I was back in Australia. I said, just wait there a minute. Hold that thought. Went away, got the guitar, brought it back and say, be blessed. So what happens? There was a need that God knew about that I didn't know about that God had already teed up the provision for it, so that when it became known, it was able to be met. This is how we know that we are his disciples, as we love one another. And not just those inside the church, but those outside the church as well. James, when he wrote to the churches to say, we don't want you to look all Jewish in your Christianity, but one thing we do want you to do is remember the poor. Remember the poor which the churches wanted to do anyway. We, as the people of God, are blessed. Do you know you're blessed today? We are truly blessed. And as God gives to us, so we are to be a blessing to others. Look at Abraham. Look at his call. Look at what God said to him. He's blessed to be a blessing. And we carry on that same calling today. As God blesses us, we are to be a blessing to others, not to simply accumulate for ourselves. So how's it going for you? Loving others inside and outside the church. Can I invite you to stand? Our time is rapidly drawing to a close. If you can't stand, then God knows. Please do stay seated. We've gone through seven distinctives that are seen within the early church as Holy Spirit has been working amongst them. There may be some of them, if you were to, to line them up, that you're thinking, yeah, I'm doing well in that. My Bible reading is going well. We have good discussions with Scripture here. But there might be other areas that are maybe you feel a little bit more timid. Well, talking to people about Jesus, I really struggle with that. What, what would I say? What would I say to them? Living with expectation that God's going to move. Well, I've never seen God do that. Therefore, I just don't know if God's going to do that. What I want us to do is I want us to ask God by his Spirit to come and fill us each afresh. And I'm going to ask God to help each one of us to grow. Because that's what he's in the habit of doing. And if there are areas that we are particularly shrinking back from, for him to highlight them and to cause us to have confidence to step forward more into what he has for us. Is that okay? So what I'm going to do, I'm going to pray. I encourage you, hold out your hands. If that helps you, just close your eyes and think to God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the scriptures that we have uh, that are ours to make us wise for salvation and godly living. But Father, more importantly, we thank you for your spirit that lives in us. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here. And I pray, Holy Spirit, would you fall upon each of my friends here. Fill them afresh. Jesus, you said that the Holy Spirit would be like an artesian well, welling up inside of us, pouring out from us. So Holy Spirit, we pray, would you fill us afresh? And would you help us to would you help us to see, firstly, the areas where we are we're doing well? Whether it be reading the scriptures, fellowship, 
breaking of bread and baptism, prayer, witnessing, supernaturally natural, loving others. And Father, for where we are doing well, we want to thank you that what we do is because of what you're doing in our lives. But Holy Spirit, I want to now ask, would you help us to see the areas that we shrink back from? And would you not just highlight it, would you help us to see why? When it comes to witnessing, I I wouldn't know what to say. But that's okay, Holy Spirit. We thank you that you live inside of us and you would give us the words in season to know what to say. Maybe it's, I don't want to look silly in front of my friends. Holy Spirit, I pray, would you break the fear of man off of any of us where we're more scared of what other people say than doing what you call us to do. God, would you bring liberty amongst us. Father, we thank you that we see in the pages of Scripture many people healed, set free, liberated from bondage. They were naturally supernatural as they pursued you. Father, I pray by your Spirit, would you, through us, raise our expectation? Would you not only raise our expectation, but would you help us to be willing to pray more than we have done? that people who are in bondage will be set free. People who are sick will be made well. People who have needs that we cannot change will be changed by you. Our God whose arm is always long enough. So Holy Spirit, I pray, would you impart a fresh measure of faith to each one of us who knows that we, we know it in our minds but maybe struggle to follow it out in action. Would you help us today this afternoon, this week, would you give us opportunity to step out in faith, trusting you? And Father, we ask also, would you help us to hear your voice more clearly? God, would you help us to know you more fully? And may we know your leading, that we will be inspired to buy guitars and other things to give to those who have need, or to ask a question how things are going, and be prepared to step in and provide. Father, we thank you that we are rich. In this nation, we are so rich. We thank you for the blessings that you showered on on us. And we pray, would you help us to use them? Lead us and guide us so that there will be none who have need amongst us. So that as we love each other, we would know, people around would know that we are your disciples. So Holy Spirit, be at work, I pray, in each of us now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's take your seats. One final thought. Tonight you have an evening pursuing the prophetic and I want to encourage you to come along even if you think it's not for you. A number of years ago I ran an evening at the Vine. It wasn't called the Vine at the time. It was called Beacon at the time in Maidstone. And we had a rough guide to prophecy evening. And I said on a Sunday morning, similar to this, if you think God doesn't speak to you, then come along. This evening is just for you. Well, there was a man there. His name was John, and he wasn't a Christian. His wife had become a Christian. His children would come to church, and he thought he wanted to find out more about this Christianity lock. Well, John thought to himself, well, I've never heard God. I don't even believe there's a God. But if you say that if you don't hear from God, then this is for you, I'm going to come along to find out more. He came along. And that night, you could see him beginning to reframe stories and accounts in his life where he began to open up the possibility, perhaps God was speaking when I did that. And perhaps God was speaking when I went there. And perhaps God was working in these circumstances as we gathered around the table, as we shared what God does, how God works, how God leads. He began to ask questions. He came on an Alpha course. He still didn't believe in Jesus until he prayed for someone to a God that he wasn't sure whether it was there for someone else to be healed, and they were healed. And he's just like, well, if you're healed, you must be there. If they're healed, you must be there. He's now a follower of Jesus. Why do I say all this? Us growing in knowing God's voice is good. And however uh, mature we feel in that, we can learn more. And however mature we are, we can help others in learning more. So it's good for us to be together, to share together so that we can grow. So I encourage you tonight for what's going to take place to come along to 
to grow together as we listen to God's voice because then each of us will have more and more stories of how we hear God speaking. I went to Audi this week. I don't go to Audi. I spoke to a lady this week that I had no right of being there. Yet it was a divine appointment that God led me that way. And we all can hear God's voice and he can lead us in so many ways. So I encourage you tonight to come along, be blessed, and I look forward to seeing you all on Friday night in Sittingbourne. Thank you. Thank you so much, Martin. Am I on mute? There we are. Thank you so much, Martin. That was brilliant. He's done my reminder announcement for 6.30 tonight at the Beacon Centre. So praise God. He's done my hard work for me. Please do, please do join us on both occasions. Thank you again, Martin. That was brilliant. And Brian, thank you. Really encouraging. If you want to speak to me about anything, but if you need prayer for anything, if you want to find out what hermeneutic trajectories are, then please do come and find me afterwards. I'd love to talk with you. But uh, if God has prompted something in you that you, need to, you know you need to do some more business with, don't just walk away from here and shrug it off. Come and find me. I'd love to pray with you and spend some time talking through or we can arrange a date at a later time to do so. But thank you, parents, if you haven't already, if you want to go and fetch your children. And teas and coffees are now served. Please do stay and linger and get to know our visitors even better as well. Brilliant. Thank you, everyone. Just to, let, just to let everyone know, there's some young people in here. They've been making biscuits in Sunday Club. Help yourselves. They've been learning about when Jesus fed the 5,000. We don't have 5,000 here today, but we've got, you know, we've got a few biscuits for you.